live. Welcome back, Game of Thrones Starbucks baristas. We are <laughs> so glad you got a grande Targaryen and you are here with us to recap. Whew, that was an episode. You're but, th- are you okay? Are you purposely throwing shade at the fact that they left a Starbucks cup? While I'm purposely coming? throwing shade okay. at the fact that these things cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and they forgot a Starbucks cup. It wasn't even probably a Starbucks cup. It was probably like one of those like craft <laughs> vendors. But like, let's be real. Um, shout out to all the people who keep uh, sets pristine. And pour one out for the person who forgot to grab the Starbucks cup. And pour one out for that person because I'm guessing they're unemployed. But (laughs) welcome (laughs) back to the pop culture theologians, Game of Thrones fans, fandom, thronies, I think we were calling you. Yeah, I think we were thronies. Thronies. Um, Make sure you're following us on social media, on Twitter at Pop Theologians and on Facebook at Pop Theologians as well. We are having a lot of fun with you on social media and... Um, it's been quite fun on Sundays because as we saw this past week, we have a lot to uh, discuss. Um, you can follow me at jerickson85 and Marcy, my friend without power, or maybe because you live on the homestead of Florida. <laughs> How about you? Uh, everyone, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at I am the men who can. Um, like John said, like I... I am currently coming in and out of recording with the lights on. It's really weird. Uh, uh, South Florida is getting hit with like super, super storms today. So if you hear thunder, it is reflective of my inner rage at this episode. So, okay, John, I know, and our listeners know, we usually start off with our what the fucks of the week, right? Like we cover like what has happened in the world in the last like week. Why is Donald Trump giving a Medal of Bravery to Tiger Woods? There's a lot we could cover for this week. Uh, I think we're actually going to, I'm going to ask you to be magnanimous and let me change the format of this episode. Um, Because I think there is so much to cover in episode four uh, that it actually, we need to break our mold for Game of Thrones, period. Um, I think so. Uh, yeah, so usually we cover what worked and what didn't work in the episode, and we try to keep it chronological, but not like we're not particularly stuck on chronological because we're assuming that y'all have listened, have listened, have watched the episode before you listen. But and I have listened, totally want to be subscribing to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Get it. Um, but I think to actually be able to break down this episode, which was extremely long, um, you actually have to talk about some of the chronological decisions that were <laughs> made. So, so John and I usually send each other emails of like what worked, what didn't work. And it's funny because like um, when we were watching the episode yesterday, John and I were texting and, and John texts me like, Eef, like an actual kind of like nonsensical spelled out word for, oh, mm, uh. And then you were like, I mean, I don't hate it, but I don't, you were kind of like, I don't hate it. I don't love it. Um, Yeah, definitely. um, This episode felt really long to me because I kept drudging on and I'm like, really? Like, really? Really? And so at first I was kind of like here, I think I said I didn't hate it originally because I'm all here for the Cersei, like head bitch in charge shit. But yesterday. I have gotten multiple texts from you that are like, yo, I think I hate it more than I thought I did. As you type out your things, 
shit, I think I really hate this episode. And, uh, and I felt a little better, uh, uh, again, you know, for anyone listening, like we are Game of Thrones fanatics. Like we are not here to shit on the show. Um, but also we're like process, like we're not process theologians, but like we're process geeks, we're academics, we're feminists, right. we're diehards, like, we're intersectional activists. Like, so a lot of the shit that happened in this episode, like <laughs> beheading the only woman of color really on the show, really? Right. Like, so, really? So, but, but, like, I do want to be clear. Like, I, I know that we all stand this show, but, like, the last two episodes, I'm going to say, have been a dark time for this show. Um, I think my, my first tweet last night was, like, that this was starting to feel a lot like the end of Dexter, which um, notoriously goes down as one of the worst endings Ugh, for the show. So bad. So bad. So, 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 so bad. And so, um, you know, we love the show, but we are here to break it down from a theological, political, uh, activist lens through this kind of different lens than most people have. Um, so bear with us because, honest to God, John's email of what worked was Aria Sansa Cersei, and then this very long list of things that did not work. And I have like 12 pages of like breaking down the show. So, but we are. That's why you really love a show too, though. Like the fact fact that we can do so much. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I think that it is a testament to how smart and 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 great fandoms have become. That shows shows have to live up to the worlds they build, the the messages they build, because we're here for it. We're here. We've been on this journey for a very long time. So, so John, I think. I think it's time for us to to start from the beginning of this episode and break down episode four of Game of Thrones. Okay, so I joked around before the episode started. I was like, watch, we start with some huge funeral scene. And bam, huge funeral scene. Uh, I mean, it's it's a good way to get through a ton of... uh, funerals i guess like these huge pyres to give your characters like one last like hey we see you we see you um i was very i was very moved by sansa saying goodbye to theon um i think that's that's something we're supposed to put in our back pocket as they build out the women in the show sansa's grief of theon is a reminder to us that sansa is is not little finger she's not Cersei she has very real emotions and and I I don't think that's enough for them to build out the character that I think they're building out but I do think we were supposed to kind of grab that one thing I noticed though is um so if you if you watch that funeral scene Danny's not in charge right yeah I really found that interesting like she is becoming more and more passive and she is taking a step back. No, I see. I don't think she's Starks. being passive. No, I, I mean think, she's like passive as just a character. Like the Starks right, are in right. command. I think. I think it is very upsetting to her. But but I think you're right. She is one step behind the Starks in power. And this scene is a very good example of like of showing us that fundamentally people follow people because they believe and trust them. They don't follow people just because you say you're. So, yeah, I mean, they all look to like John and Sansa and we're like, okay, like we're letting these people on fire now. Right, right. 
I, 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 I took stock of that and I was like, interesting. I mean, we know that. I think we now know collectively as a viewership that the show is moving on triple fast forward the Mad Queen <laughs> storyline. And so triple fast forward, I mean, my God, it is so frustrating to watch so much narrative happen so very, very quickly. Um, so much, I'm using air quotes, plot development, but all right. So like you do, they go and they celebrate the shortest battle for all of humanity that has ever happened. <laughs> right. The shortest battle. We, uh, yeah, that's it. But that's it. Like we were wrong last week. We, I think you, Kirsten, Kirsten was um, our, our guest last week on Pop Culture Theologians. She's an honorary pop theologian. Um, all three of us, I think, said we're obviously going to get the backstory through the lens of wherever the fuck Bran went <laughs> during the battle. Nope. I, would like, I would like to put a notch on, like, one down for Marcy being absolutely wrong and completely flabbergasted. I... Yeah. They just moved it along, along. That really was the end of the Night King and the and winter and blah blah blah. And I, I can't wrap my head around that. Um, I mean, it makes me question why it's taken so long to write the Winds of Winter if it was a fucking ten minute like scene. Like, how how could it take almost like ten years to write this book if literally it was one episode? How like seriously, right? Like, why is the book? Why are the books not done? I have a lot of feelings about George R. R. Martin that we're going to get to, but, but again, okay. So shortest battle that has ever happened. I mean, it was like a blink of an eye and Arya's a badass. We barely get shout outs to Arya being the one who like, who, who ended this whole thing, which I think is baffling. Like at one point, I think Daenerys Hashtag says- Hashtag sexism. Right, no, the, I mean- if I was to give you a, a general thesis on what this episode officially solidified for me is the writers of Game of Thrones fucking hate women. And like George R. R. Martin does not. And so I'm having like a very difficult time with this episode, but okay. So the celebrating, everyone's drinking, everyone's celebrating. Uh, and we, we see Daenerys make that very strategic decision, right? With Gendry? Mm -hmm. It was a good move. Yes. At, at first, you're like, wow, okay. That's good. Good job, Danny. Did you for a second think she was going to execute him because technically he also has a claim for the throne? No. I no? was ha No, I didn't think so. I definitely, because she doesn't see him as a threat. Like, um, I think with Gendry, I was like, okay, she's definitely moving a chess piece here, right? And with him it was also like a really good chess piece because people saw that as like a really you know respected move and thing to do yeah i will say for a hot second i was like because they've sped up the mad queen shit so much i was like watch she takes him out because be in my head because john is now an active threat to her throne and it's interesting she really refers to the throne as like this thing to own not this thing to do. And I think that is very, very, very important. Like, um, so for a minute, um, notch number two of things I was wrong about, like my heart sank and I was like, oh God, we're about to like kill, kill off Gendry right before he goes and gets to have sex again. Um, 
So what did you think of, of his proposal to Aria? It was just kind of like one of those scenes in like a teenage rom-com where you're just sitting there and you're like, he like just won the football game and he goes back to the nerdy girl who you never thought he was supposed to be with. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, dude, no, like I'm totally going to Yale and going to go to law school and like be a Supreme court justice. Like get off my back. What but except in this time, were you watching? <laughs> like, but I agree. I mean, I've watched a lot of shit, but like, but instead of this time, it's like, no, I'm going to like go kill a bunch of people in King's Landing. And you're like, yeah, get yours, Aria. And it also stays true to character. Like, and I'd love a good callback to a great episode, that Nymeria scene where like Aria and her meet and she goes, that's not me. That, like, and that's, that is a pointing us back to season one when Aria speaks to Ned and Ned's like, you'll be, you know, a lady of a house and you'll have little kids and like, she looks at her dad and she goes, that's not me. Right. So we've heard this multiple times um, because we have serious issues with this episode. I want to say this, the dialogue in this scene did not work for me. I agree. It was like super cheesy and sorry, but like Gendry knows Aria. Like, I don't know what version of Gendry would have gone and like proposed him and like, let's go have babies and rule storms. And like, that Gendry didn't make sense. I was like, um, that's, that's how you show like the seasons disconnect. Like yeah, Gendry like, was a very specific knows- person. He never grew up. He got more muscular, but Aria changed. But like we followed that change in the plot. Like Gendry. Yeah, so, like a so there is a, yeah, there is a stay true to Aria in this, in this scene. There is bad writing for Gendry because I think the Gendry that we have kind of gotten to know would have known not to three seconds after becoming Lord of Storms and get on one knee with the fuck and propose to Arya. But Arya handled it like Arya and that was great. Um, at she the was same- like, really respectful. Well, no, she gave him like this like super sexy kiss and was like, dude, you're gonna make a girl real happy. It just ain't me, boo. Like, right, it I was, really it was great. That. Yeah, like, Okay, okay, thanks, bye. Um, we can still have sex if you can just disconnect the feelings. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Um, so then we have this, like, conversation between Tyrion and Davos about Melisandre that I thought was entirely unnecessary. It was Davos saying, like, I was supposed to kill her, but then she kind of killed herself. And, like, um, but it does lead to this one line that... Um, by the way, as a notch on you being right, where... That's right. Say it again. You were right. Um, I mean, you were right in the way that you phrased it last week. So Tyrion says, um, we may have have killed, like, the Night King. We may have done that, but we still have to contend, contend with us. Right? Exactly. And then the, it, pans, it pans out to Sansa, John, Danny, everyone kind of there. And so um, we do get the confirmation that fundamentally the the real i guess we now i guess we can now confirm that the the war with the night king and the coming winter is over officially um that the that our villains are sitting at that table our heroes are sitting at that table so uh still in this room o celebration and we have brienne Tyrion. it's interesting we move from one Tyrion scene to another which is something that i actually hate um it, I think it's a visual, like it's distracting to watch a character have one scene and then you immediately follow it with a scene uh, with the same character with other people. It's just a little um, frustrating, but it was, what would you call it? Like 
never have I ever North Northern edition. It was it was like a callback to that scene that he played with Shay the night uh, yep. in season and one Braun. before he died and Braun. Um, so I appreciate a good callback. I'm staying true to form there. But it was kind of like a never have I ever like high school. Someone's definitely having sex version tonight um, game because like you could totally tell they were building up to something. And like when Tyrion's like you're a virgin, and then that look like you're like oh. Okay, so that's what they're gonna do. Like you kind of, if you, I knew what was gonna happen, but um, it was definitely like, oh, they're having fun and playing, and they can actually like let their hair down, metaphorically speaking. But like, really, at the end of the day, you know, it's trying to get them to the purpose of the storyline, the main storyline they're trying to hit, which is Brienne and Jamie. Right. Uh, here's here's. <sighs> okay. I thought we said goodbye to Brienne in episode two. Yeah. I thought it was one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire show. I thought it was a beautifully deserved elevation of a female character and her power and her, like, her, her beauty. And I mean beauty in the, like, vast universal way. We, I know we discussed last week that I was very surprised to see Brienne make it through the fact that they were saving her death to get her to lose her virginity to Jamie and to then beg him to be with her, John. Too much. It is so infuriating. It is so out of character for Brienne. It is so, like, it is... Um... Here's the thing. I am all for Brienne being a full, complex, fully rounded female character that explores like identity, sexuality, gender, whatever it is. However, do not do this two episodes before the whole series is done. It makes it look cheap. It, the payoff isn't there for people. And you completely do a disservice to the character that you've built up for years. I, I just did such problem. a disservice. Um, well, and here's the thing too. It, this is all to fundamentally how I understood this episode. You completely deconstructed the person of Brienne of Tarth to prove to us that Jamie fundamentally just can't let go of Cersei. I don't think you needed to do that. I think that, I don't think that you needed to create this version of Brienne that doesn't match the narrative of years and years of writing in the show to, to prove a point. Then again, fuck it. I mean, how many women, how many amazing women do I know who have had everything derailed by a mediocre piece of shit? So I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm like really angry about it. Um, so yeah, Brienne, uh, Brienne initially is like annoyed by being asked about her virginity, then rushes off to lose it, uh, breaking Tormon's heart. Um, I will say that that the Tormon having that one line about like Northern fucker took her from me was maybe one of the only chuckles you got out of me this whole episode. Um, yeah, yeah, I I just I'm very confused. I want to I want to blame solely bad writing, but like that feels like a takedown of a character that is beloved for so many reasons and like you should have killed her last week. Yeah, it's like she's almost better off dead in that way, but here's the thing, like 
when these books come out when you and I are in our 60s, like, if they are they really going to do that? Like, really? No. And I think we're going to continue to discuss that through, throughout this entire episode. I keep saying, like, you know, fundamentally, we are, we are not seeing George R.R. R. Martin's Brienne. We are not seeing... Um, you know, his version of Arya anymore, or Sansa, or John or Danny. But the thing is, like, at the end of the day, he's made decisions, right? Like, look, no one is going to hold George R.R. Martin's hand to the fire to write. I say this as someone who is literally taking an extended break from writing her dissertation. Like, it is, like, he doesn't owe us anything, but, like, I can't help but be angry at someone who crafted half a story and then was like, someone else can finish and I don't care if it stays true to form. Like, n- n- like it, that is just really frustrating to me, particularly because he's been really clear that he was using fantasy to subvert um, some of the tropes that you see in fantasy, particularly about, around gender and honor and religion and whatnot. And so, um, the showrunners are, are basic showrunners. I mean, like, they are not, they, like, the people who write the theology are the ones who are invested in it. Like, George R. R. Martin needed to get to the end to tell his story. He didn't. And so what we're watching is what happens when someone takes a Picasso and tries to finish the painting. Like, it's, it's like a little bananas. Like, mm. It's also like if it's kind of like he's he's been I haven't seen many interviews or like questions for George R. R. Martin right now. Like right, like people are like, so, so how do you feel about people being, like destroying your shit? You know? Well, I think honest to God, he one has an NDA that is signed, but two, like he's not gonna shit on his project, right? Like he makes a shit ton of money on this shit. Like the the man never has to write another page in his life. Um but I, I think also there's there he's talked about how difficult it is to see someone finish this before him. So yeah. Okay, we have so much to get through. Jesus Christ. Okay. So we have the scene with the hound and Sansa. Um, I don't know, the similar to Gendry, I had a drop feeling in my stomach. I was like, wait, are they gonna sleep together? Like what I did is- too. But I appreciated this scene. I I so liked how it I- showed Sansa's growth. Okay, you and I massively disagree. This is, for me, the most egregious scene in the entire show. Oh, bring it. So I loved the fact that she made a joke about having gotten rid of um, Bolton with hounds. I thought that was great. Yeah. But then when, when, when the hound says, you know, if you just come with me, like none of this shit would have happened. And then Sansa says, if none of this shit would have happened, I would still be a little bird. Here's the thing. I say this as like a, I say this as an assault survivor, like someone who has survived assault and had like trauma. I fundamentally cannot accept that line. It was, I, I like whoever wrote it is a piece of shit. Like there are ways to say we, you know, we can't erase who we've become but saying that she needed to go through the her, being sold off, being raped violently, um, having what is technically her brother watch her be raped a million times, saying that she needed to go through that to be a badass woman is so disgusting. It is so foul. And it, it, it 
it, it harkens back a little bit to like the whitewashing of like um of Danny's rape in the first season but like I I'm just I'm flabbergasted at this scene and extremely offended so I hear totally everything that you're saying. And I think this is a really large philosophical question, right? And I see what the writers are trying to grapple with, specifically with how simplistic the lines are. Like, okay, so from one end, she's basically saying, like, all of these horrible things made me who I am today. Now, the philosophical question is, is would she be who she is today if that wouldn't have happened? That's a large conversation, right? Like, and we could just take one example. Would she be who she is today if Ned wasn't beheaded, right? Like, you can take that. But, like, where they're going here, and this is where the writing gets bad, and it's too reductionist, is, like, they're basically pointing it to the little bird symbol, like, saying that she's this pure little bird. So it's, like, inquiring upon, like, a yeah, sexuality. The, the implication yes. there was dirty. And dirty. also, that line needed to just be written differently there again there are ways to say it differently like there's ways to to acknowledge like if she had said unfortunately if i hadn't gone through that you know would you and i be standing here today so any any nuance to it it's just there was none and um and that is just fundamentally I, I just I can't. like if she would have listed the stuff like if she was like well if I w if I wouldn't have been there when my father's life was murdered if no, I would you know have done you don't need any of that just if the hound just said you've changed and she was and then she said something like unfortunately life changes us something like that is a way that you acknowledge exactly right? that's and a great that's exactly how you it acknowledge right. it right but you're not there was such an insinuation especially because he he goes into detail of her being like mounted it was really fucking gross. Like, so yeah, like when I rewatched it today with Brent, cause I, I watched it last night with my brother cause Brent was working and, um, and then watched it today with Brent, um, which is a total violation of our marriage vows, by the way. Um, hashtag, sorry, Brent. Um, today, the more, the, when I watched it, like, um, I, I honestly felt like extremely angry as a woman fan of this show that the character I love the most from the lens of the writers like had to be raped like in numerous times and like tortured by some dude to become strong. Yeah. But John, but John was just strong from the get go. Right. Exactly. And it does cue back to a lot of the reasons why people left the show in the middle seasons when rape was used as like literally just a narrative storytelling device in every which way against the women of the show. Right, right. Um, so the show obviously now then Bran loses her virginity to Jamie. I'm not particularly interested in giving it much time. Um, so we move on to a scene that I do think is important where Danny and John finally have the kiki of like, yo, so like, <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, and it could have gone such a different way, but like that look in her face when she's like, and this is what I'm telling you, you must do. It's kind of like the ultimatum stuff, as you and I both know, because we watch a lot of television, never works. No, no. Ultimatums never work. Never work. And, and it's not even ultimatums. Like, it's um, like, first off, like, he's trying to be nice and he's acknowledging that like, he didn't know Ser Jorah, but like, 
you know, she obviously lost someone very important to her. And then she's like, he want like, he wanted me to love him, but I couldn't not the way that I love you. Point number one, I just don't think there's been enough in the show to convince me that these two love each other undyingly at this point. And that is what, that is honestly what you need to believe to suspend belief on some of the shit that the show is doing. Um, I just don't think it's enough, right? But then she like begs him to keep it a secret, um, is, is furious and is like, you shouldn't have told me. Um, it, it harkens so much back to me to like ways in which when you have someone that people are closeted for example and they're married like can't you just do this for me can't you just do hide this, one this identity thing for me. hide this critical piece of your identity for me and it's like that that question itself it's, it's too selfish an ask and here's what's yeah. so dumb like there is an obvious solution y'all apparently according to the showrunners love each other the throne could be shared by a king and queen here's a third thing targaryens sleep with whoever the fuck they want including their aunts honest to god there is no problem like this is the simplest fucking solution in the world the problem is daenerys and we knew this would happen and i don't have a problem with daenerys and cersei being anti-heroes like i'm i'm here for that so like feminism doesn't mean all, all women are great Daenerys is not the type of fucking person who's going to share that fucking throne. She's not going to share the, the power. Like, we know that. We've known that for quite some time. Um, and so it, what's funny is, like, you don't love each other. Because if you love each other, the solution is very obvious. And you would want to share in the burden of the Iron Throne. Not in the fighting for the Iron Throne. The Iron Throne is a burden. And the only person who seems to understand that is Sansa, who has been warden of the North and has been taking care of the North for a very long time, who understands that the title warden of the North doesn't mean anything. It's just a really heavy fucking yoke. Like she has to keep everyone alive and fed and safe and trusting her and not fighting each other. But like Danny fundamentally still doesn't see anything other than the throne and the title, which doesn't make sense to me, again, bad writing, with the woman who was the breaker of chains, who was like, crucify the masters like that it, it's just it's a bit of a disconnect uh for me um but i i love your analogy of like she's she's fundamentally asking him to to closet himself yeah and it's john like, says no yeah like john's like sorry well, i think no. john kind of i mean he doesn't say no but there's a part of him that almost did say no i thought he i thought so too but then i remembered that he's I don't care about the blood stuff. He's still Ned Stark's son and he's going to make the dumbest decisions possible all back to back to back to back. Um, so yeah. Uh, we move from this conversation to the war room where they're discussing the strategy of like what comes next, right? There's obviously tension between Danny and John. Um, and the main focus is your girl, Cersei. Like, right. We need to go South. My home girl. Your home girl. We need to go south. But then Sansa's like, um, we need the army to recuperate first. Which again, this is her thinking like an actual leader and not like a crazy person who's like, give me my fucking chair. Right? And like, I don't understand how there's so many adults in the room. And and then John, this this is where the writing really starts. Like, I literally, my notes, I want to take like a screenshot of it says, John idiot. Like, John's like, we'll be, we'll do whatever you say. Daenerys. And it's like, I'm sorry, did you, did you not hear Sansa? 
that was like the logical thing to do but like so i'm supposed to think that john is so fucking in love with danny i mean so fundamentally unequivocally disney romance movie in love with her that he has stopped seeing reason that i just there it's becoming so tropey and like the writing is this really bad with the writing with john and danny has been just, terrible from the beginning has been terrible from the beginning and so it's really hard for us to be really invested in them when like people are still like want john to be with Ygritte, right like and danny to be with by herself personally right like it, it's really not there and so it's really hard for us to buy into these scenes when she's like i love you so much and you're kind of like, like do you well like it's like similar to like i'm like you don't love shit like at this point you're like an instagram influencer who's like hawking herself at every corner like i can't with a great wig with a great wig um but what, what's interesting is this leads to the stark children saying yo john we need a word and then them being like what is happening right and like he keeps referring to Daenerys as their queen and I like that Arya kind of bows down a bit for a second and was like I get why we needed her up here I just don't get why we are continuing down this path because it's obvious it's not the right one Sansa kind of says the same thing and then they it's like he's triggered because like Sansa pretty much harkens back to like the, the pack survives like we're the last four Starks like we're asking you to listen to us. And he's like, I'm not a Stark. And I'm like, first off, your mom was a Stark. So like, yes, you are. And two, that's all it took for him to tell the secret. Like, I guess, well, he's too much of a coward to even tell it. He asked Bran to tell them. Yeah, like he can't do it. Is that because though that they might not believe him? Like they're kind of like, we need the creepy brother to like do it. See, I, I think like, unless you're going to show some montage, it seems kind of silly. Like, but I understand what you're saying. That's to a certain extent, like John, all of a sudden telling people like, I'm a Targaryen, like you need Bran to back it up. Bran's not doing like, he's, he's not projecting these visions onto the people he's telling. So it just, again, it's just kind of silly to me. I, I mean, I get it, um, but it's just silly. Um, so now we're playing a game of telephone. Um, and in a, in a later scene, Vera says, you know, if eight of us know know it, it's news. It's not a secret anymore. And I think that oh, that's... Wait. Can we talk about the saddest episode and saddest moment of the whole episode? Talk to me, because I, I wonder if it's the same one I had. Okay. John abandoned his dog. Ah! Okay, yes. Okay. So... We have to go there. I am so, furious. So snapshot, the Starks are like, John, what are you doing? And John's like, I'm following my queen. And it's like, okay, What? Uh, but you can tell that Arya and Sansa are on the same page. Then Jamie and Tyrion, before we jump to the goodbyes, Jamie and Tyrion are having a kiki over Brienne's vag because, like, that is literally what the dialogue has boiled down to. Like, what does she look like down there? Ah, I can't. I can't. But we are interrupted halfway through getting to see two brothers discuss a woman's nethers. Uh, with Braun coming in, because we had forgotten that this subplot is going on, uh, saying, yo, Cersei offered, uh, offered me River Run to kill you, and then Tyrion, without thinking twice, offers him, um, oh my god, what is wrong with me? Highgarden. 
which seems stupid for the hand of the king to promise Highgarden without talking to his queen. Um, and I just want you to put that in your back pocket because this is going to come back up as we discuss Tyrion. Yeah. Um, so then, then we get Arya, uh, all of a sudden heading down south with the Hound. Um, I love the fact that they're on an adventure again. For a second, I was very confused. It did not make sense to go from that um, start kids Kiki to Arya heading down. But this is my this is my prediction: is Sansa and Arya have had a various serious, various serious, very serious talk about what they're going to do, and they are like. Arya going down south is part of the plan. Yeah, I think that they're going to try and save shit. I think they're going to try to take down Cersei and, like, to a certain extent, keep the Mad Queen off the throne. And I'm using Mad Queen vaguely because I'm, I, we have multiple Mad Queens at this point. Um, but okay, so um, then we get to the Sansa Tyrion scene. And it's interesting because Sansa says to her, sorry, I'm rushing to get us through through to, to Ghost, but I, I do want to make sure we cover how this chronologically all happens, particularly the spreading of secrets by little birds. Um, Sansa runs into Tyrion. A part of me is still standing them as a couple because I love them so much. I would love to see them end up on the throne, to be honest. Um, but he, she does ask him why her? And like, Tyrion does a bunch of wordsmithing with her. And then Sansa says the one thing I have needed someone to say. She says, you're afraid of her. That is the beginning and end of Daenerys Stormborn, Daenerys Targaryen. Like, the fact that now the show has officially said the people advising Daenerys are scared of her, that Tyrion is scared of her, I think was a very good moment. I think that it was really good that as he's like saying, like, you'll be Warden of the North, I'd feel more comfortable if you liked her, she goes, she literally just like interrupts him. We know that she respects him and thinks he's smart and is like, oh shit, you're scared of her. I thought that was great. And it's, I like it because it's subtle enough for you to be like, wow, Tyrion's been so blind to who she's been coming because he's so in love with her. Kind of like what we talked about in our episode, in our preview episode for the season of like whether or not that whole like, is he going to be jealous of Jon Snow thing type of thing. Like Tyrion so wants to believe in Danny that he's blinded by that passion, love, dedication, whatever you want to call it. Interesting. Cause like realize it. Brent and I were talking and like Brent was like, when, when we were watching the episode the second time for people listening for the first time, Brent is my husband. I am a married old lady. Um, Brent said, I think you're wrong about Tyrion having fallen in love with Danny. I think Tyrion is in love with the idea of Danny and the idea of being able to rest, like the, the ability to rest and actually have a time of like prosperity and like no more war, no more fighting, no, no more like scheming, right? Like just like a pause on life. And like he, he's been in love with the idea of Danny being the, the answer to this. From a religious perspective, I think this is very important. Um, I think that this is where people sometimes are misled by the mystical and make very stupid decisions. So we saw this with Stannis and the Red Lady, right? Like, um, like the spiritual, mystical, magical realm is not an exact science, whatever. 
um, but it can lead people down the wrong path. It can also lead you to put your faith in where you shouldn't put it. And I think that's kind of what's happened with Tyrion, like similar to Jorah. Jorah was blind to the Mad Queen as well. And it's because they watched her fucking burn, burn shit and come out walking with dragons. Like that is not something you unsee, right? Like I think uh, like to make like a Christian analogy, you know, um, you don't see Jesus climb out of a tomb three days later and not bow down, right? Like you defeated death. Like, um, so I think that that's part of it too with Tyrion is that he's like, he's seen miracles surrounding Daenerys. He can't comprehend the fact that it can be an and or, or an and but situation. Um, so, um, but when she, when she says to, to Tyrion, like, what if there was another person who was better suited? Um, it's over. Like, the, the now we're in the real Game of Thrones. Exactly. Like, and that was the it. best part of the episode for me. Like, that moment right there when Sansa became, like, that was, like, her moment. Became she had that moment. Littlefinger, like, became one of the major players. She became, she was already working up to get into there. But all of a sudden, in that moment, she goes, I have the power we're going to figure this out. Like, here's like, you know, here's my chest. Well, here's and I my don't, chest. I, for, for, I know there's going to be fanboys who are like, um, you know, that was a betrayal of, of John's trust. Fuck like, no, John, be, John is literally not only betraying the North, but betraying his good sense. I and, fundamentally. And John is such, uh, I just cannot stand him in this episode. I think Arya and Sansa discussed next steps. Arya needed to let the Arya needed to go south because she's got her magic ch facial changing powers and she's a badass. And and Sansa needed to stay up north, solidify the power of the north, but also let the powers that be battling for the throne know that Daenerys is not their only option. And I think this is going to sound really harsh. I think that maybe the second they found out that Jon wasn't their brother. Again, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. The pack of Starks will survive this. The lone wolf, which looks like John right now, I'm honestly concerned won't make it through to the end of the series, which to be honest, I think he'd be thankful for at this point because this leads us to his conversation with Tormund. So Tormund uh, like, comes up to John and is like, I'm taking the free folk home because uh, the white people get to go home. Um, <laughs> like, apparently I'm, they didn't send them all to their death in the last episode. Right. So, so he wants to take the folks home. And John, you know, John 1 tells him to take um, Ghost, which was interesting. Like, uh, I mean... I think we're supposed to think like they're really good buddies and their chemistry is great. Like the Jon Snow Tormund chemistry is great, but like saying like, take, take John North or take ghost North was interesting when it was, when it was, when it was couched by the statement from John of like, I wish I could just go up North myself. Like, um, and I got real snarky on Twitter, but like John wishing he could go back to his days, like in black up North and like kind of like to a certain extent implying like regretting having ever seen a vagina and not being like one of the men in black like it's a it's a real decision made by the writers like that is a real fucking decision to make that like to a certain extent imply that if john had just never met Igrit and never met danny like he and just stayed up north with his brothers at the wall he'd 
like he'd be happier. Like having John insinuate that is a little bananas. I just cannot believe and get over what he did to Ghost. I just. It feels like we're watching an episode of, Bever- of like, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Like She did abandon that dog. That was a, This is a Dorit situation. Dorit. John Dorit Snow. John Dorited Ghost. John Dorited Ghost. Thanks a lot, Dorit. But, like, can I also say, did you Lisa catch when Torment said... devastated. Did you catch when Torment said, maybe we'll see you again? Do you think, like everyone's going to die and like John will survive and like he needs to call upon the Northern men again to come like save him. I mean, Tormon did say like, you have a real piece of the North in you. And I think, um, I think that was just supposed to remind us viewers that the, the version of John going South is not the real John. The real John is a man of the North. Like, I don't think that, I think that, I think that was goodbye to Tormund. Which again, I would have preferred to see him go out really badass in battle, um, but at least he gets to take Ghost. I don't like. I don't know. Um, nah. As long as Ghost know. lives, I'm fine. Then like, we get like a, a really like. I mean, Ghost is fine. Tormund seems like the type of guy who can take care of a direwolf. Like, um, it's he, just sad. I don't like it when animals are sad. <laughs> I didn't like it when Arya said goodbye to Nymeria, but I, I understood it. This just felt like we have no time to do it. We were robbed. Shows. We were yeah. robbed. That's how I felt with this scene. Like, ghost deserved. Ghost deserved better. Hashtag justice for ghost. Justice for ghost. Um, we then move on to this, like, awkward scene uh, with Sam and John saying goodbye to each other. And it's like. Bye, oh. Sam. Yeah, I like, bye. Bye. Uh, congrats on, on knocking up. Uh, Gilly. Like, I, I just... Over I, it. I, Over I feel like soul. they've done a real disservice to that character. Like, like he was like, oh, wasn't, there wasn't enough books for me to read to stay celibate. And it's like, yeah, okay. Um, so over Sam. Sure. So over Sam. Um, so then we start to transition to where there's movement in this episode. So um, Tyrion and Varys start having the discussion about John and his true parentage and this is that great scene where Varys says you know if eight people know it's not a secret it's news um we we get a real sense that Tyrion views Sansa as a threat because she he says like Sansa will solidify the north and the veil like again like he's pretty much saying if Danny ends up on the throne Sansa is going to war and I thought that was like that is such a isn't that like such a 180 from like where we were season two with Sansa. Like no one would have been like, that bitch is gonna literally solidify the powers of the North that V and come south. Yeah, no one would have thought that. No. Um, and then they start discussing the obvious, which is marry the Targaryens, and then they rule together. And like obviously like Varys is like, but obviously she's she's not she's not gonna share the throne and like um it's but weird. Like, can't you just ask her? Like can't literally like like we're in politics like we understand like we at this like can't you just go up like hey danny also there are ships ahead of you that are gonna kill one of your fucking dragons like maybe look ahead we'll get there but can't you like hey like totally think you should break the mold you know how you break the mold you co-rule with the man that you say you love well i think i think it's it's supposed to be kind of like indicative to us that this is this was never like everything is strategic with danny every single thing like I, honest to God, like, I don't think she, I think the reason it hasn't come up naturally is because 
she views herself and we're about to get to that as she views herself as a deity almost like and and so she hasn't even processed that john is a targaryen because if he's a targaryen then like she's not special and like remember like when her brother died she was like he was no dragon right like um i think that i think that like Tyrion's being an idiot because Varys is literally having the same conversation that that Sansa Bronn well Bran didn't really talk but Sansa and Arya had with Jon and Tyrion's having the same kind of like no like she's my queen like this is treason and um I think that's weird for the brightest man in the realm um that that doesn't that doesn't make sense and like you know for Varys he's watching another another ruler go mad and he and like later on in the in the episode he says like I've seen tyrants and Tyrion's like yeah how many kings have you followed like sometimes you have to follow one and like Varys reminds us again like fundamentally he's not here for who's on the throne he's here to protect the people um and he's pretty much insinuating Tyrion you've lost your way yeah like and then he shows up in the next episode when he basically, after we get through this next scene, he's like, uh, Danny. Right. Okay. So we move on from this, like, oh shit, what are we going to do about Danny situation? And John is a Targaryen. Everyone acting cool, keeping it a secret amongst the eight of them that know, um, not. Uh, then we get this scene. We, so Tyrion in the, in the battle room had said that some would, would that some would go on horse down to King's Landing. Some by ship would go to Whitehall. And then Quyburn shows up and, and does what, John? Well, Quyburn and- uh, Well, Euron shows up and he kills. Yeah. Yeah. You get this beautiful scene kind of reminiscent to the like season six ep- premiere or whenever when Danny first comes to Dragonstone. Um, and it's like the dragons are back, they're home, they're flying. And then Viserion dies. This was, it wasn't Viserion, it was... Um, well, one of them dies. Rhaegon. It's not Rhaegon. Rhaegon dies. Rhaegon. And like, and it's, I hate when they kill him. Viserion animals. was they our ice dragon. So Drogon's the only one left. And I was wrong. You so couldn't Quy- see the ships? Quyburn wasn't there. It was, Quyburn had been working on that dragon shooting thing since like... It was Euron that shot it. Euron shot it. So here's my question as I watch this scene happen. Um, how did Euron know where they were? Um, was it like, I, I understand fundamentally that if, if those ships are there and the dragons are flying, it, it's an easy hit. Like it's, I understand how a dragon died in this scene. What I don't understand is how they, how, they knew that they were going to Whitehall. So I remember I told you to put in your back pocket some news, some information about Tyrion. Tyrion is the one that suggested going to Whitehall. Um, And either there's some really bad writing or I'm starting to get an itching suspicion that, that we've got a mole. And for multiple reasons. And we'll go into this. I was wondering that too. I think we have a mole. Um, So, I also think we have very bad writing. Like, it doesn't make sense that they would just know where to show up. It doesn't make sense that somehow they all just magically float and survive. Not all, but the ones that matter. Magically float and survive to the shores of Dragonstone. 
not Whitehall, which I, I don't understand how that happens unless I misunderstood that, that scene, but, but also again, very shoddy writing. Um, you shoot at the dragon and you kill it. Then you shoot at the ships to sink them, but somehow manage to capture one lady out of everyone, like to purpose. Yeah, how did that work? How did that work? Like if, if like, if they're all like barely alive on the shores, how did they like, they don't have a dragon to go and pick her up like a drone. Like, how, like, mm, it's bad writing um, because it proves to us whatever it took to get Missande to the place where she is then used as a pawn to hurt Daenerys. So um, very, very, very shoddy writing right there. Um, I just, I, I hate when they kill the dragons. I know. I know. Like, none of this is worth it. You had three yeah, dragons. That's that. Yeah, exactly. You had like three I, fucking dragons to start with. Could you, like, honestly, could you not have lived a beautiful life? Just your three dragons and, and like, in Slaver's Bay or, like. But this is the same. This is a callback to previous episodes. Like, when Danny went to the north to save John on with all the dragons like she did not heed the advice of counsel saying like don't do certain things like if she would have waited they would all still be there but she didn't heed the advice of counsel and look at what happened then one dragon died she's still ar arrogantly doing the same thing and another dragon dies that's right. kind of like when stannis did it like if stannis overarchingly badly advised yes right but she's also making foolish decisions Exactly. And also, every single dragon's death is her fault because and she kills her own children just like like Cersei. Well, because fundamentally, the throne is more important than her children. Again, we've got two two mad queens. So this brings us to actually some Hunger Games parallels that I thought you might find interesting. So when we have this scene with Cersei saying, like, um, you know, t telling Quiberon that she was happy that it went well. Uh, we see that she is moving all of the citizens into the Red Keep. We saw President Snow do that in um, The Hunger Games. Uh, do you remember how he surrounds yeah. his mansion with children? Yeah. Um, and uses them to a certain extent. And Cersei says, exactly. A shield. And Cersei says it. We never hear President Snow in The Hunger Games say, like, um, you know, we'll put the children to surround the mansion so that, like, they have to make a conscientious decision uh like a conscious decision to kill the children to get to me cersei's like yeah no surround me by poor people let them come through them first before they have that's why i love cersei she's just like true to form she goes they're gonna have to kill every motherfucker in this place to get cersei to cersei is a villain that like is interesting to me because she's a worthy villain she's the real kill for me like that's the thing if you're gonna take down cersei like that is something we'll talk we, about so for you you know how we talked about the night kim having the night king having no background like no something like we know cersei we know that she has never forgiven the death of her mother she was very marked by her mother she was very marked by her father's preference for for jamie she was sold off young to a piece of shit king um you know she she like we know we know the monster that has happened because she is a monster um but she's a very well-written monster up until this point um to the point where like the hunger games callback also of, of using a pregnancy to manipulate the people and like to manipulate those who like 
who care about her as well. Not just the people, but like her inner circle. She knows that her pregnancy is a different, like if she's pregnant, because I still, who knows? I don't know. Um, you know, she tells Euron it's his. She tells Jamie it's his. Like, it doesn't matter. She's, she knows fundamentally how to wield the power that she has very well. Um, so, so I think um, Cersei, Cersei, Cersei at this point at least is making what I consider rational decisions for a fucking monster. Like her decisions all make sense. All of them make sense. Like um, there's nothing unexpected there. Like, you know, which is what makes it so frustrating to see. Then again, maybe not. Maybe like that's the point. Like I see Sansa making really smart decisions. She was taught by Cersei to a certain extent how you consolidate power and keep it the difference between Sansa and Cersei is that Sansa is not a fucking monster. So <laughs> here's the thing. I think in the books, there's going to be a lot more backstory onto the Night King and all of that and what we're really going to get in the end of the day. I think in the TV show, they've chosen very strategically not to focus on fantasy. It was a part of it, but like the real, the real kill, the real boss, the HBIC is Cersei. And that's it's what they chose. They had, they had two lines to go to. And they chose Cersei. And everyone under us, everyone underestimated Cersei as a real threat. And like, um, and the only person who has never underestimated Cersei, there are a couple people. Um, Jamie has never underestimated Cersei. Sansa has never underestimated Cersei. I feel like Littlefinger fundamentally never underestimated her and fully saw her for who she was. And like those, that's it. That's Sansa it. Sansa never Tyrion, underestimated her. No, Sansa never underestimated her. Sansa. I mean, I think Sansa, I don't even think Sansa's afraid of her. I think Sansa just knows you fundamentally. Recognizes as like another HBIC. When exactly. you see a bitch, you recognize exactly. a bitch. Like you're like, we got you. Right, right. And so we get this scene where like, so Tyrion ha says to, to Danny, like we should at least let her, let Cersei step down, give her every opportunity to step down before we go in. And I'm like, why? Something's not making sense. Like, at this point, no one, sh we know fundamentally as viewers that Tyrion has no power over Cersei, right? So the fact that he is still advising on Cersei is very strange to me. And then the, the scene where they come to the wall, again, time is flying by, but they all, a, a small battalion with Daenerys and a dragon, again, putting the dragon in danger, like, um, show up at the wall and then it's Cersei and Missande and they said and Tyrion's the one who needs to go and talk and negotiate like I have a question yeah do you think so we talked a couple episodes back about um an episode tier two when Tyrion pulls up the chair and has a kiki with Bran do you think Bran said something to Tyrion that talked about the future that basically signified Daenerys's fate right and and that really wrecked him in the terms of like he's doing everything he can to try to change the future it's kind of like that time travel paradox you can't change the future um like do you think that he's doing all of this to try to prevent something that he knows is going to happen because I feel like that was an important scene and like and maybe they won't pay it off and maybe they will but there's not enough stuff going on with Bran like maybe something is happening that we don't know that it, I don't that's, know. That's terrible writing. 
it's terrible at writing, least, but at like least that I don't type know. of decision makes sense in um in certain movies that have come out recently. I was about to do a spoiler, but I'm not going to. The the um, thing has been lifted. <laughs> I know I know the embargo for Endgame has ended, but uh from from the perspective of being respectful of Thanos listener, wins. There, I spoiled it. <laughs> I'm gonna try to be respectful. That's just bad writing. So again, like you cannot have Bran be this all-seeing eye that we now always have to be on the lookout for, like spilling secrets. He even tells us that he, he lives mostly in the past. So I'm going to go with a no. I'm going to say that quite honestly, this is just bad leadership, bad writing, bad decision-making, or we have a mole who keeps putting himself in positions where he and his siblings know what they're doing. I don't know. That's how bad the writing has gotten. I have never in my life thought I would end up on some suspicion that at the end of the day, the Lannister siblings are still, you know, the Lannister siblings. I, I just don't know. Um, but, but we get to Cersei, like there's no special knowledge he would have that like, if that was so, then could he have prevented Missandei's capture? Could he, like, that's why that stuff doesn't work. That's what time travel in general, a shout out to my brother, John Paul, who is a, a faithful listener when we were discussing Endgame. Like, anytime some, a show uses time travel, which Game of Thrones has used through Bran and his visions, you have to suspend all belief because the second you start to go into it too much, like, you, the, everything falls apart. Like our our understanding of Hodor and how Hodor happened is it, it was great storytelling. It worked. Don't think too hard on it because then the rest of the show falls apart. Actually, and so I think bringing in another element where Bran is fundamentally changing history would be very lazy. I don't know. But damn, did Cersei take time like equipping King's Landing with like all the shit she needed for the dragons? Yeah, girl, there's one dragon left. Yeah, she like she 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 had an insurance package, okay? I mean, Quiburn like, is making some dollar as a contractor because he's yeah, probably seriously. the only dragon killer in the entire sector. <laughs> um, uh. So when they were advising her on this meeting, when they were advising Daenerys, Varys says it was a mistake. Um, that mistake leads to the death of Missande, who you know, her final words before, so Tyrion's negotiating with Quiburn, it's not working, goes to negotiate with his sister and is like, think of the baby. Anyone who knows Cersei literally knows that she was not going to think of the baby. Um, well, it just fully signal. it's like a head nod to like, she's lost. Like that part of his sister that is gone. Is gone. And Tyrion in his eyes sees that but he's so wrong he's so wrong about everything and it's just a ripple effect that's been going on for seasons now it's like look at what happened right right and i think like i think we well we know that that there is no like there's no turning back anymore for any of these characters for any of i'll put it this way there's no turning back for cersei or for danny right? Like this, like beg, like Tyrion begging for the life of an unborn, like niece or nephew is bananas. And like before the scene where we get to this wall 
is the second time in this episode that like Tyrion and Ver Varys have a conversation about Danny, and like um, to a certain extent, Varys is like, "I'm out," because when he tells her not to do this, not to go to this wall, and she doesn't listen, and Varys says, "Like I told you, I would tell you when I thought you were making a mistake," and and like that is a nod to all of us viewers from my perspective that now Varys is actually going to actively try to take Daenerys out of the throne contention. And Tyrion is the only person who knows that now. And to a certain extent, Varys is saying kind of like, all right, whatever. Like you knew from the get-go who I was. I've stuck true to it. I told you that I, I work for the realm. This is not working. This is dangerous situation. Like, and so when we get to the wall and we see it fall apart, who I keep thinking of is what, where is Varys now? Like, what does this look like now as he advises Daenerys still, but now undermining her? Like, I think that'll, that'll be interesting for, in, like, for the next episode. Um, cause, cause I think like Tyrion is going to be destroyed in the next episode. The death of Missande to me Danny is going to blame him for somehow not being able to magically stop his sister again. Yeah. Right? Again. Right. Like, I mean, stop sending him to talk to his sister. His sister fucking hates him. Like, stop it. Stop sending him to do anything. Right. Right. And, and so then I'm like, interesting, like interesting that this keeps happening. Interesting that like, she keeps refusing to kill him. It, like that all of that part is interesting to me and not interesting like ooh, we're sleuthing the end of game of thrones it's just interesting to me all of a sudden to be like wait what is happening combine that with jamie leaving brienne begging outside in the cold saying he is a bad man but he's going back to his sister and i'm kind of like okay you're like sure jamie but it just shows like oh god i won't say what i put in our notes but like in regards to jamie going back to cersei but damn yo i mean <laughs> i just have to say like hashtag justice for masande like hashtag like they need more women of color people of color like lgbtq folks writing for this show it shows when like you've yeah, done this is a, you're a so close to job. something like you're so close to something you can't see it like you know and then that therefore it suffers like it's all of those things and this well, episode and for people who are like well of, of course Missande, like it's she's the closest person to her yeah okay i get that in a snapshot but in the larger in the larger like scheme of things with the Dothraki going first last time uh in the last episode with like the wildlings getting to go home like uh and like the northerners being able to stay up north during this battle like it's just it's it's bad optics it's ingrained white supremacy like it is difficult for us to recognize that decisions like this in our art are reflective of kind of like how we view black and brown bodies in real life right and so you know, nonsensical that they found her in the water, but no one gives a shit because it's it's important to use her to hurt this other character who has power. Um, it's it's it was it's the frustrating. Same problem, like, it's it's the really help, frustrating. Like the movie, the help. Like they used the people of color to hurt the white characters, and thinking that was okay, and they tried to make a narrative out of that. Say that one more time. It, that this is the same problem that the movie, the help, had. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. What? 
What? You've never seen the help? Oh, I honest to God thought you said a hell pad. And I was like, what is that? Yeah, agreed. A agreed. Uh, the help is a perfect example of centering a story about black and brown people around a white person and then using and making sure the white person's okay at the end right and using the pain and suffering of of, of black and brown uh bodies to uh lift up the narrative telling of a white woman so yeah no it's it's it's, it's bad like so um, what are her final words her final words are dracaris so what do you think that means i mean that's what you say for the dragons to to turn things on fire right like we were making fun that Daenerys seemed to have forgotten to teach John Dracarys last week um it's a a nod to the Targaryens it's a nod to to Danny um interesting last words like I think that means light this city on fucking fire agreed I think like they're not worthy of you burn it down right I think that or like, remember who you are. So I just looked it up because I was like, I know it means something. And it means dragon fire in High Valerian. So Brent brought up, which I think is interesting. He's like, Cersei's main tactic to bringing down Daenerys is not a military tactic. It's, it's destabilizing her entire world. So she goes mad. And she's done a very good job of doing this. Masande included... The dragons included, uh, Jorah included. I think Cersei is not, I don't think Danny going mad is happening by accident. I think that there's like a very intentional hurt, 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 hurt her because it might just break her that, that Cersei's banking on. She's also banking on her armies and stuff, but I think this is fundamentally showing us how smart Cersei is. Like the way you break Daenerys is not through military. You just have to break her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that like, that's why Cersei, I mean, lover or hater, she's probably one of my favorite characters because she, she said it in the first season. She said the line, when you win the, when you play the game of Thrones, you either win or you die. Like she gets how to play the Game of Thrones. Right. And she has sold everything for it at this point. Yeah. Um, but that is what power is. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And like that's a perfect example of like what Cersei's philosophical and tactics are. I mean, you see that moment where she tells Euron, like, oh yeah, it's your baby. Like and well, and I think like here's know. like my problem is you've got three women asserting power in this show, and everyone is like, John should be king. Well, yeah, exactly. It's right, like... and so I will admit that two of these women are have gone mad, but like, it's it's. I just think it's a like. So I think what where I'm struggling is if fundamentally, I mean, Vera says like you know we John John having a cock helps us out because like the high lords bow down to like a cock, and like Tyrion's like that's bullshit, like that's bullshit, and Varys is like no, it's not, and I think like the show has showed us time and time and time again that women with power are are it's just like an unthinkable thought right so like 
Cersei getting any power turns her in, turned her into a monster. Daenerys getting power turned her into a monster. I'm pretty sure Sansa, by the end of this, having power will turn into a monster. But not Jon. Jon's not corruptible by power. And, and I think that, like, this is my, my, my own trauma, I think, coming through my theology, right? But, like, I come from a, a faith tradition where women are not allowed to hold power, right? The Catholic Church is one of the oldest institutions, one of the last institutions left to completely bar women from any position of power, right? And the idea being that like we don't have the goods to do it <laughs> that the cock itself is so important that god himself modeled himself in the image of a man purposely to highlight the the dick and that's why women can't have power and if they did have power you know we think of like you think of the dialogue surrounding like Hillary Clinton running, right? It was like, she'll be too emotional for power. She'll be too much X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing happening on, happening on the show. Instead of writing like very real three-dimensional women in power characters, we've pretty much got three hysterical women and a, a male savior in the middle who's like, I don't want the power, but I will take it. Which is literally every. Or no, he'll he won't take it. He'll he'll will unwillingly accept. Ooh, ooh, even better, he will take on this awful yoke. This burden. Right. It I it honestly brings me back to conversations that I had with men who went into the Catholic Church as priests, like because I knew a lot of them, where they would talk about it as this huge burden, right? And like, and I'm like, I'll take your burden. I've wanted to be a fucking priest since I was three. No, 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 no. It's my burden. Right, like it's just interesting that the setup of the show has come full, like fully back to like how society views women too. Like, there's just no good way to be a woman. Like, there's just no good way because, like, I swear to you, like, look, it's, even with Arya, Arya needs to be a disconnected, cold kind of motherfucker to like be able to be on the same level as the men in this show. Right? Like, but yeah. And as we, you know, we have, we have two episodes left and I'm not sure how you rectify this shit. <sighs> yeah. I don't know where we go. I don't either. I don't either. I, um, I mean, who do I want sitting on the throne? I think I want the throne destroyed and, and everyone free. Like, I want the Iron Islands to be free to be ruled by themselves. I want Sansa to be Warden of the North by herself. I want Tyrion to rule King's Landing. I don't give a shit. Like, I just don't, I think fundamentally I don't care about the throne. So, like, I know that Cersei has to die. I know that Daenerys has to die at this point. There's no way to keep Daenerys alive now that she's gone mad. Um... I doubt that they're going to hand the throne to the warden of the North. So like who's, who's in contention right now? Um, I, I mean, if George R. R. Martin supposedly is subverting the genre, I guess he could let Cersei win. Um, but I'm not sure I see that happening. Yeah. So then who is it? Is it Tyrion? Stephen King tweeted out today that he'd love to see Tyrion uh, end up on the throne, which I thought was interesting. Mm. What do you think, John? Who? <sighs> Who, what? 
I feel deflated. I feel so deflated from this episode. They're going to put John on the throne. You really, you think it's John? Yeah. I mean, at this point, I mean, they have a Starbucks cup in the episode. I mean, what else do I have to go on? Yeah, I know. I know. Uh. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for sticking with us. Yeah, we know this was a long episode. We know that we sound a little deflated. Um, we're 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 still totally along for the ride. Like this has been a love affair of many, 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 many years. Um, I stick by the fact that my love of the books is separate from my love of the show. Um, who fucking knows? They could surprise me and kill it in these next two episodes. They could. They could. You know, they really could. I just, I could not be myself and tell anyone that I think the last two episodes have been great. Like, I think they've been really terrible. Um, so. Yeah. Prove me wrong, Game of Thrones. Prove us wrong and tell us in the comments. Tell us what you think. If you disagree with us, we want to hear from you. Nicely, though. Like, please don't roast us. Or if you you're going to roast us, us if you're going to roast ready. us, be ready because <laughs> John can tell you I don't like being wrong so she doesn't uh, I don't but I do love a good gift battle so uh bring it uh we're excited to see you guys next week uh metaphorically speaking when we break down episode five which by the way is another battle episode if I if I remember correctly episodes three and five were the battle episodes do you think uh, Cersei dies next week I don't know anymore. I literally don't know. I think I'm going to call it. I think Cersei dies next <gasps> week. You're calling it. Yeah. I think the final episode is the actual Game of Thrones. Like who political like sabotage. I don't think Cersei's dead next week. Let's do it. Let's do it. You'll buy me some Starbucks. I will. All right. Then we'll kiki about this in a week. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of days. Bye. Bye. Bye.